Good morning, Hope Church. Woo! Guys, excited to be here? Absolutely. Amen and amen. I guess I'm gonna get myself straightened out here. We're uh, we're indoors again. You guys, indoor being uh, enjoy being outdoors. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Good. Good. But uh, we're back indoors. Um, back with our live streamers. Hey, live streamers. I'm wearing shoes, so that's different. So. But uh, I want to begin this morning by asking a question. I know that's a big shock to most of you guys, but um, my question is this. How many of you like mathematics? It's kind of a weird question, I know, but I'm a weird guy because I like math. I always have because it just makes sense to me. I just get it. Some would say that I am a left-brainer, if you will. You guys ever heard of this, this left-brain, right-brain thing? Yeah. I tend to be more quantitative and more analytical. Logic really appeals to the left-brain dominant person, as opposed to the right-brainer who tends to be more intuitive, more creative, kind of a free thinker, if you will. For example... A right-brainer might look at a gray sky and say, I wonder if it's going to rain. A left-brainer would probably say something like, well, the forecast is for a 30% chance of rain, but I think those cumulonimbus clouds up there will bring some thunder along with the precipitation. So you guys kind of get the difference between right-brain and left-brain. I am left brain. There's no doubt math just comes easy to me. I get it. And my wife might argue this, but I tend to be quite logical most times. <laughs> Believe it or not, in school, I enjoyed things like geometry and algebra. Because geometry and algebra use what is referred to as deductive reasoning. They use facts and laws and definitions to draw conclusions. That's what deductive reasoning is. It's very logical. What we see in deductive reasoning is sometimes referred to as if-then statements. You guys familiar with conditional statements? If A, then B. If a certain condition is met, then the hypothesis or the conclusion will be true. In geometry, one might sound like this. If a triangle is equiangular, then it is equilateral by the laws of geometry. Algebra might sound something like this. If x is divisible by 2, then x is an even number. We've got another left-brainer out there. <laughs> it even applies to physics because if... I let go of this object, then it hits the floor, right? I'm not going to do that, but that happens by the laws of physics, by the law of gravity, right? See, this is the way my brain works. I'm very analytical, although you don't want to get in there. You might get lost, and that's a dangerous place to be. But I'm a numbers guy. 
I am left brain dominant. How about you guys? Would you identify as being a left brainer like me? Logical, numbers, or are you more creative, more of a free thinker, kind of right brain dominant? No brain dominant. No. <laughs> or both. That's always an option, right? The things that we talk about at church on Sunday morning, it's crazy. But I know you're asking why, right? Why? What does this have to do with anything? Well, we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture today. And in this passage of Scripture, there is an if-then statement. And we know this conditional statement to be true, not by the laws of geometry or of algebra, not even the laws of physics. We know it will be true because it is written in the infallible, inerrant word of God. So today, we're continuing in our exploration of the first nine chapters of Proverbs. Proverbs is a part of what is referred to as the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. And the wisdom literature includes Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, Song of Solomon, and then there's some psalms that are considered wisdom psalms. And in this wisdom literature, we find biblical wisdom. Now, I've entitled this series, Wisdom for Today... Because this wisdom that we find in the Bible is as relevant today as it was when this book was compiled some 2,700 years ago or so. As I said, our attention this summer is on the first nine chapters of Proverbs. And these chapters happen to be a collection of poems that describe wisdom and they also describe the benefits of walking in wisdom. And then in the last 22 chapters of the book, we find those, those Proverbs that you're probably more familiar with, those two to three line Proverbs proper. Those tend to be a little bit thematic, and maybe we'll do a sermon series on those sometime, maybe next summer. But for now, we're focused on the first nine chapters. And a couple of weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, if you were with us, we started at the very beginning. We started at the beginning of Proverbs, but we also started at the beginning of wisdom. And I hope that we can all memorize, yeah, memorize, Proverbs 1, verse 7. Anybody remember that one? Oh, don't put it up yet. No, 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 you're, you're cheating. I was going to see if anybody wanted to take a shot at remembering it. Anybody? Yeah, I didn't figure I'd... See any hands. Go ahead and put it up then. Let's all say it together, okay? Proverbs 1 7. Of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. I, I want us to memorize that because this is where it all begins. This is where wisdom begins, but it also gives us insight into what we talked about last week. Remember, we talked about Two what? Two roads, right? Constantly coming to these forks in the road. And we choose either the way of foolishness or we choose the way of wisdom, right? The two roads. And we want to remember that because this is a theme that we see throughout these nine chapters. 
Now, I know that you left-brainers are dying to get to the logic, right? You want to get to this conditional statement, so let's jump into it. This is found in Proverbs chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 22. We're going to look at the whole chapter. And really what Solomon is going to do here is he's going to tell us why we should listen to wisdom. Really speaks to the benefits of wisdom. Now, there's, there's a lot that we miss from not having the original Hebrew. Because in the original Hebrew, chapter 22 is one long sentence. It's all one sentence. You thought Paul wrote in long sentences. This whole chapter is one sentence. It is also considered alphabetic because there's 22 verses matching the 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Now, there's a reason for this, and this, this structure suggests completeness. And it also suggests an emphasis on the appeal to set one's heart on wisdom. So he begins in verse 1 with, My son. And as we mentioned last week, with each of these lectures, he begins with an exhortation to the son to listen, to heed this instruction, to pay attention. We know this isn't just for sons. It's for everyone. It's for all of us today. And then in the rest of the first four verses, Solomon gives us really three ways, three ways to gain wisdom. So, starting at verse 1, he says, My son, if, so here begins the conditional statement, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if, you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding. And if you look for it as for silver and search for it as hidden treasure. So there's a lot of ifing going on in those first four verses. So let's take a second and let's break it down and let's pull out some of these main points that Solomon is trying to give us here. So as I said before, there's three conditions for acquiring wisdom. The first is be receptive. Be receptive. And in verse 1, what we see are really two aspects of being receptive. The first aspect is to accept. Accept. The NIV says if you accept wisdom. English Standard Version translates that a little differently, it says, if you receive. And, and really both tend to mean the same thing. We must be open to the way of wisdom. But the Hebrew word that's actually translated here goes much, much deeper than that. The Hebrew word, lakech, means to grasp or to, to take hold of, to, to acquire something of great value. And this really implies that we must be willing and able by the power of the Holy Spirit to grasp, to receive, to accept the wisdom of God's Word. Does that describe us? 
It's my prayer that it would. We must receive. We must accept. But more than that, we're to store up. We're to store up His Word. Again, the English Standard Version treats that a little differently. It says to treasure up God's commands. In other words, we don't just hear and receive. No, we internalize it. We make it our own. We memorize it. A lot of people say, I can't memorize stuff. If you try it, I bet you could. That's why we're going to work on memorizing Proverbs 1 verse 7. It's important. It's important. And honestly, we, we memorize it so that we have it at the ready when we need it. That's how Job endured the incredible trials that he faced. In Job 23, he says, I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. Job was prepared for trials because he accepted and he treasured up the words from God. Now, for most of us, if we haven't faced any trials yet, or we're not facing trials now, you're gonna. At some point, you're gonna face trials. It is pretty much guaranteed. Maybe not as severe as Job, but maybe, maybe we need to be ready. We need to treasure up. We need to store up God's word in our hearts and in our minds. So we must be receptive. Verse 2 and 3 tell us that we must also be responsive. Be responsive. We must respond to God's wisdom. We must respond to His Word. You know, in week one, we talked about responding, in that case, to who God is. God is our Creator, and to who we are. We are His creation. And how we respond to that relationship with awe and reverence, that's what fear of the Lord is. We respond. We must, as it says, turn our ear to wisdom. And this speaks to our attitude toward the teaching we find in the Bible. You know, when instructing children, we often hear parents say, you know, are you listening? To which the, parent, the child inevitably says, yeah. And the parent says, I think it's just going in one ear and what? And out the other. We cannot have that attitude toward God's word. We don't let it go in one ear and let it go out the other. We internalize it. We own it. We make it our own. Being responsive means turning our ear to wisdom, yes. But it's also about applying Applying, there's an action word there, applying our hearts to understanding. There's effort involved here. This does not happen by accident or by osmosis. We need to make an active effort to get to know the word of God, which is where wisdom is found. 
And this wisdom is something that should be sought after with a passion. Verse 3 urges us to call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding. Is that our attitude towards the scriptures? Should be. See, what we have to understand is this, this, this book, these 66 books, this, this Bible, this is the holy and inspired word from God himself. Don't take it for granted. Be receptive to it and respond to it. I pray that we would turn our ear to wisdom and apply our hearts to understanding. And I pray that we would do it with a passion. So be receptive, be responsive. And the verse 4 tells us that we must be resolute. In other words, we must be unwavering in our quest for wisdom. You know, it says, if we look for it as silver and search for it as hidden treasure, really that speaks to being tenacious. You know, a treasure hunter will spend years searching relentlessly for gold. It's a story about a treasure hunter who searched for 16 years for Spanish gold sunken off the coast of Key West. 16 years every day diving with equipment, and, and, and metal detectors, that's being relentless. But friends, the wisdom of God is so much more valuable than that gold. You know, we've talked about this before, seeking after wealth. You know, the greedy, they tend to seek after wealth with everything they have. So we should seek after wisdom. Solomon is telling his son, he's telling us to pursue wisdom above all else. Nothing can be more important. Not money, not job, not relationships, not pleasure, not lust of the eyes, not lust of the flesh, not pride of life. Nothing can be more important. You know, the world searches for all those things as they are of most value. God is much more valuable, much more valuable. So, if we are receptive, and if we are responsive, and if we are resolute, then, now we're getting into the benefits of wisdom, then, as verse 5 says, you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. You know, in chapter 1, Solomon told us that the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom, right? We're going to memorize this. We are. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But here, what he teaches us is that without effort to seek out that wisdom above all else, what's going to happen is we will lack in our fear of the Lord and we will lack in our knowledge of God. You know, I said just a moment ago that fear of the Lord is knowing who God is, knowing who we are, and knowing our place in His world. Let's just take it a, 
a little bit further here. Knowing who God is means that we know the truth. We know the truth, and we know the truth about Jesus. And we believe what God says is true. It is truth, absolute truth. And God says that he will punish all sin. Talked about this a number of times over the weeks in our study in the book of Habakkuk. God will punish sin. But we also believe in his promises that all who place their faith in Jesus are forgiven already. And we also know that Jesus is the only answer to our dilemma. In John 14, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. So when we begin to understand who God is through Jesus Christ, then we really begin to know God. So we are to seek wisdom diligently, diligently, above all else, with a passion. Where? Where? Any ideas? Well, verses 6 through 8 tells us, For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless for. He guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. It's God. It's God. We know from Colossians 1 that God is the creator of all things. Right? Paul teaches us that he created all things, seen and unseen. So if we use our logic we will know that God created wisdom. We can make up our own little if-then statement, right? If God created all things seen and unseen, then God created wisdom. And we know that to be true. We know that to be true. God is the source of all wisdom, He speaks to us. We receive his wisdom. He reveals knowledge and understanding through his word. Absolutely. Absolutely. Amen. Not only does God give wisdom through his word, he actively defends those who walk according to his commands, those who obey. He guards and protects his children. Then the following verses really give us insight into how God protects us, really talking about the benefits of wisdom. Verse 9 starts with another, Then, then you will understand what is right and just and fair. Every good path. So one of the benefits of wisdom is that we are now able to use the knowledge that we have to make good choices. And truly that is what wisdom is all about. 
living according to God's sovereign plan, making good choices, understanding righteousness and justice and fairness and acting accordingly. And of course, that allows us to choose the right paths in life, right? We don't choose the path of foolishness. We choose the path of wisdom. Because foolishness leads to what? Death and destruction, right? But the path of wisdom leads to life. Life. Amen. Amen. Verse 10 and 11 say, For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you, and understanding will guard you. It's one of the benefits of wisdom. Not only are we doing what's right, but now we're developing a heart for wisdom. We actually prefer it. It's pleasant to the soul. And we see foolishness and sin for what it is. It's a lie. It's a lie. Because sin promises fulfillment. Right? Sin promises fulfillment. But in the end, it only leaves us more empty than we were before. We identify sin for what it is. And, and our discretion, which is our ability to make good choices based on the wisdom from God, that discretion will protect us. And our understanding, which also comes from God, will guard us. Protect us and guard us from what, though? Well, a couple of things that are described in the following verses. Verses 12 through 15 describe one of them. It says there, Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who have left the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. And friends, this is exactly who Solomon was talking about in chapter 1. If you remember in chapter 1, verse 10, he said, If sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. You know, these, these, these are the ones that, that take advantage of others for their own benefit. Talked about this a lot lately. Unjust gain. And they, and they try to, to lure us in, you know, with the promise of, of belonging. The promise of, of, of camaraderie. And, of course, getting rich quick. But the wisdom of God will save us from them and help us to choose the path of wisdom and not the path of foolishness. The second thing this passage promises to guard us from is found in verses 16 through 19. There it says, Wisdom will also save you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. Surely her house leads down to death, and her paths to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. 
So in 12 through 15, we're warned against the deception of evil men and their unjust gain. Here, Solomon warns us against the deception of the adulterous woman. Seduction, you know, sensuous pleasure, the allure of that. Both of those roads lead to death and destruction. They're both the road of foolishness. And we're going to talk a lot more about seduction and and adultery in, in the coming weeks. Solomon actually writes a lot about sensual pleasures. He does. And and, and we're going to learn more about that in the coming weeks. But he warns us, and wisdom will guard us against that kind of allure. And then verse 20, verse 20 really sums up the result of the wisdom that's described in verses 9 through 11. So not only does it deliver us from the men on the evil path and from the deception of the adulterous woman we read about in 16 through 19, but verse 20 says, thus, that's kind of another word for then, then you will walk in the ways of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. In other words, if we receive, if we respond, and if we are resolute, then we reap the rewards of wisdom. We're protected from deception. But then we will also walk in the way that is good and true. Again, it's about making decisions on the road of life. When we come to those forks in the road, which way do we choose? Do we choose the way of foolishness or do we choose the way of wisdom? And then... Verses 21 and 22 really, really kind of summarize the entire lesson from the chapter. There it says, For the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land and the unfaithful will be torn from it. And friends, this is reflective of the covenant that God had made with the Israelites regarding the promised land. Throughout the Old Testament, God promised blessing for obedience and judgment for disobedience. But more broadly, this speaks to the wisdom of living righteously versus the folly of sin. The two roads that we've talked about. Foolishness. Sin leads to death and destruction. Wisdom, righteousness, leads to life. What else do we know about righteousness? Can we live a perfectly righteous life? No. No. There was only one who lived a perfectly righteous life. And he is the embodiment of wisdom, Jesus Christ. And he went to the cross, he died and rose again, that we might be found righteous in God's sight. Friends, it is only through Christ that we can stand before God with any hope in this world or in the next. 
the righteousness of Christ that's imputed to us. So are you receptive to God's word, to his wisdom? Are you responding to it? Are you resolute? Are you unwavering in your pursuit of wisdom? In the end, friends, that is what Solomon is telling us. Pursue wisdom. Pursue Christ. He is more precious than silver, more precious than gold, more precious than anything. Pursue Christ with everything you have above every other pursuit. Because in Him we find righteousness. In Him we find life. Anything else is foolishness and leads to death. Pursue wisdom. Pursue Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and and praise you, Lord, and we thank you so much for who you are. We know that you are the creator, the God of the cosmos. We know that that we are your creation. And we thank you, Lord, that you've chosen to pour out your wisdom, that your wisdom came to this world in the form of Jesus Christ. Thank you that you've revealed yourself in him, in your word. And Lord, I just pray that we would be receptive, that we would be responsive, and that we would pursue you with everything that we have. Because you've promised, Lord, to pour out your wisdom on those who do. Father, bless us in this pursuit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.